Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. All right, well, we're back with another episode of the Zero Podcast, and I'm here in this amazing facility with a very special guest, Dr. Eugene. Can I call you Dr. Eugene? You definitely can't. <laughs> you absolutely can't. You're going to get people hating on me already. Eugene, I've always, so I've never actually heard you say your surname. So can you say your surname so everyone can say it right? Because oh. half the people say Teo and half the people say Teo. I would rather you say it and hope that you get it correct. Oh, see, I would say Eugene Teo. Yes, Fuck. 50-50 chance and and, and you fucked it up. (laughs) Uh, Tried my best. Anyway, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Uh, Thanks thanks for taking the time to to chat with me today, man. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, And this podcast is all about you. So I'm just basically going to sit here and ask a bunch of questions that I want to ask and people can listen to it. Okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, we were just talking and I want to continue that conversation. Um, we were talking about your app a little bit earlier and we're talking about the kind of numbers that you had. Um, and I said, where do you think you stand? And you were just about to say, well, it's all about retention. So can you continue saying what you were about to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is like, like any subscription model, whether it's in-person gyms like you have or whatever. Um, you can get a lot of customers in and it can look really good. But then if it's a really poor level of service or whatever, it doesn't really matter on the numbers. Mm. You can get 20,000 people in. Cool. And they might pay you 10 bucks each. right then and there for the month. But then if they don't retain much long, where's the livelihood, where's the the lifespan of that business really going? So in terms of my actual numbers, I I don't think I'm I'm very much up there when you look at my overall following of people. It's like, hey, I, um, you know, we have say about roughly 12,000 people on there right now. Um, But if you think about doing the numbers on much larger creators, say someone who's got 5 million followers versus me having half a million Mm. followers if you do the basic um if you scale it back to saying let's say a five percent conversion on followers which is honestly that's quite overblown for most people yeah most people have like a million followers they aren't getting five percent of that as customers but let's just use that as a rough example um i'm small fish you know 10 to twenty thousand people is small is small players it's it's not that um substantial um but if i was to look at it from saying the um, retention on those people um it's, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the satisfaction with those people, it's, it's great. And it's, you know, it's continues to improve, which I'm really, really pleased with. And when it comes to the acquisition, as opposed to retention, like bringing people in, I'd say that's actually a much easier way to do things. That's, that's, that's the easy part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Keeping people around in your business, if you've got a good product, you've got a good service, whether it's in-person or online, doesn't matter what it is. If it's a good product, which you, know, you should hope it is, um, then people should want to stick around. They should want to tell their friends. They should want to just not cancel they should want to if their payments elapse and they get over you they should want to call you up and be like hey my payment's going to bounce can you please fix it so i can keep paying you and giving you money mm. that's what you want you know um and that's you know where i feel like we're, um, we um have been working towards and we've been at um which is great um but yeah the acquisition size is where honestly i've been suffering because i haven't been driving enough time into that mm-hmm. i haven't been putting enough attention um because i had other priorities and that's something where now we're going through a, um, just a, a big sea change in terms of the actual business side of things. Um, I've been sort of hitting the pause button on a lot of um, the outreach, marketing, putting out content, engaging and driving traffic in because there's a couple of things on the business side where I need to just get things up to scratch to make sure the product continues to be that exceptional mm-hmm. value. People stick around, want to stay around, tell their friends and just 
make it a really long-term thing. Um, so yeah, I think to answer <laughs> your very simple question in a very long way, but simplified back, your question was, you must be quite up there with your numbers in the industry. I don't think I am. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Australia, you know, I don't really know of many people who have larger scale fitness apps within Australia. I think it's, I'm sure there'd be some big companies mm-hmm. as opposed to an individual or an individual brand um, that I might not know of and definitely in different niches. And um, like we think of something like Weight Watchers, they're probably millions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think probably in terms of Australia, probably big, but then look at the States, look overseas, it's small fish. I'm, I'm small fish. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, I mean, but it's really important for people to hear that, like you talking about the whole idea of the lifetime value of the of the client, not just seeing them as a number that comes in and then chasing numbers, but how can you maintain that retention so that there is a higher lifetime value of each client? And that requires a lot of nurturing, that requires putting a lot back, giving them a lot of value. And uh, what would you say has been uh, some of the the key things that you've done to create that value? Because uh, I know you spend a lot of time talking to your people within the app. Mm. You know, you'll post a lot of stuff uh, online showing the kind of stuff that you're giving back and you'll give a lot back just organically to your followers. Um, would you say that's it? Is just spending more time giving back to them within the app? Yeah. Um, even that, like, depending on the kind of service that you offer, I actively get in there and I interact with people um, is it absolutely essential that I do that? Honestly, kind of not. Mm-hmm. I do it because I enjoy that and you know, I'd get bored if I did nothing else. And, but there are plenty of exact replicas, businesses of like fitness apps or whatever that have absolutely no interaction. You know, like one of the most popular fitness apps out there is um, Couch to 5K. It's a very simple um, app where you just go in there, it gives you every single day what your running program is meant to be to get you from absolute zero to being able to run 5K. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, there's no back and forth no member interaction, nothing. But it's such such a good experience, people stick around and people want to tell their friends and it's, you know, got millions of people who use it and talk about it and rave about it. Um, so there's going to be many different methods that you can use to create that experience, whether it's you being a hands-on person or it's the product itself being so exceptional. Maybe it's about having different brand ambassadors or different cool bells and whistles within the app as well that bring people in. There's no right or wrong there. Um, where I think one of the areas that we do that we do really flourish in is obviously having me in there because I just, you know, it's, it's a very unique point of difference from the other fitness apps mm. or the other people out there where if you really break it down, a lot of fitness apps, they're all the same thing. You know, like there are some things within the tech side and the, um, the AI side where we are really pushing things quite differently or maybe not differently, but just better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, or just the overall user experience where it's a little bit better in my opinion, very biased of course. Um, but at the end of the day, most fitness apps are gonna do roughly the same thing. They're gonna give you a way to put your workouts in, track your progress, um, get some kind of maybe new program or write your own program and maybe maybe have some kind of feedback or educational side to it. That's kind of what most apps and most coaching services even are. Um, so, as long as you don't screw that up mm-hmm. by missing really big things or having something that crashes all the time and explodes and everyone tries, tries to do something, um, then that should do well on its own. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that's where a lot of people actually fall short on simple stuff is they're trying to reinvent something without getting those um, really fundamentals right and make sure, is your product actually really, really good? Like one thing we spent, um, unfortunately, a lot of wasted time a couple of years back on was advertising. 
like paid advertising, which I've never done. Mm. I've always just been an organic growth person where I just put out stuff. But, you know, my um, business partner time was just like, hey, like we should look in Facebook ads. And I said, sure, why not? Let's just you know, throw some money at that, see what happens with it. Um, but at that point in time, it wasn't about trying to bring people in. It was actually, we should have been focusing more on the actual experience for the customer. There's no point bringing people in if the actual experience is poor mm. and they're going to be leaving. It's like, well, it's a waste of time, waste sure. of money. I think people focus on that. They're focusing on content creation or they're focusing on outreach. They're focusing on trying to go viral on TikTok or trying to like look a certain way to bring more people in. It's like, well, is your actual service or product offering really good to the point where somebody comes into it and if they have to leave, they feel so bad and they want to f- do whatever they can to fight tooth and nail to stay mm. and to find their way back in. If it's not at that point, then you've got to focus on that before anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the industry... Um, kind of pushes the other idea of run ads, pay this, you know, do these style reels on Instagram and TikTok to make sure you get people in and do the call to action button here. And I think it's kind of backwards. Mm. Um, like you do need that eventually or at the same time, but don't forget the actual offering. Mm. Yeah, no, I talk about a lot, of, a lot with people about this whole idea of like putting yourself into a category of one. Like are you an iPhone or a Samsung guy? iPhone. Okay, so if your iPhone breaks today, you know, you drive over it in your car, go to the phone shop, I'm selling you a phone. What's it going to take me to get you to buy a Samsung? Um, I've just honestly just got to play with it and be shown it. Like I'm, I've, I've used only iPhones. Uh-huh. Um, as much as you think I'm loyal to it, I'm not loyal to it. <laughs> the thing that would, that, that's got me stuck in iPhone, which honestly is a big lesson to a lot of people in business model, is um, now I'm kind of stuck with it because of how everything is meshed into the cloud. Yes. Everything is meshed into like all of my devices are synced up. So it would have to be phenomenal for me to get you to come over it to Samsung to be. because it would yeah. have to satisfy your ability to be able to take all of that stuff that you're stuck into and immediately transfer it over, which doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. So like th- this is what I mean. It's a category of one. It's like you make your product so good and so specific to that person that like you said, they, they're fighting tooth and nail to stay. Mm. Uh, and it's so important for for up and comers who listen to this kind of podcast to hear that from someone like you is that just build a fucking awesome product. Mm. Like people ask me with zero, zero's gone from one gym to almost seven gyms. We're in the process of opening the next two at the moment in the last three years through COVID and everything. And they think it's because of some incredible business acumen or some like crazy investors or something like that. It's no, I've spent 10 years building amazing product. And I, I like will fall on my sword. And that product is coaching. It's my understanding of what I believe the gold standard squat bench deadlift is. That's all it is. And just focusing on that 100%, delivering that to the clients, being passionate about that. That's what's built it over right. time. For sure. So that's- it's so important to he- for people to hear that from people like you. It's, it's not as crazy difficult as it seems. It's very simple. Do the simple things really well. Simple on paper, then application can be hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's one thing actually I've wanted to ask you, you know, I'm going to flip it around a bit, oh. is are your gyms, um, is it private only? Like you got to be, uh, um, have coaching of some sort. It's pub- public, no, so yeah. I can get a membership and go there. Yes. But it's mainly powerlifting focus, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they are purpose built for powerlifters. Yeah. But so my whole vision with Zero is commercializing strength training. So like think of the traditional powerlifting gym, kind of dirty, kind of Mm. dingy powerlifting equipment, but the model's not very good. No one's making much money. You're buying secondhand equipment here and there. Nothing's match. Mine is like really schmick, air conditioned, clean, Mm. new equipment, lots of machines, 
just trying to you know meet all the fantastic things about commercial gyms, which powerlifters are historically like, oh, fuck commercial gyms. Right. It's like, no, commercial gyms are awesome. How can sure. we take the awesomeness of that, forget all the stuff we don't like, take the awesomeness of powerlifting, get rid of all the grungy, dirty stuff, put them together. That's what I'm doing with Zero. Right. I thought, because you know, this is what I've been curious about is, um, and this might sound really, really wrong of me to say this, but um, so please don't flame me and roast me for saying this, but powerlifting is is really boring. Not that appealing. As a sport. It's not appealing. It's not interesting. And it's a really hard sell to mm. the lay person. Absolutely. Like, I love it. I think it's cool. You know, I want, to, even though like I don't do a lot of squat benches to that, that level anymore or even ever at that level, but you know, taking it to that seriousness, um, I still think it's incredible and I can respect it and I, I love the ideas of it and I can see how it works and why people get buy-in for it. Mm-hmm. But for the lay person, it's not interesting. It's mm. not appealing. There's a lot of technique involved. There's a lot of just, it just doesn't look attractive mm-hmm. um, versus say even the Olympic lifts where it looks attractive when you do it. It doesn't, because you're just there with the empty bar, with mm-hmm. the heavy barbell, you throw it overhead. No racks, no nothing. There's no walker, you just pull it up. And it's beautiful mm. to watch. It's um, and you could say like a deadlift or a squat can be very. Te- it is very technical. It's incredibly technical. But I think just having like a squat rack makes it look a little bit less pretty. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, average no. person. No, I mean Olympic um, lifting so cool. Like just like you said, you and the bar. That's it for sure. There's a squat rack, fucking twelve spotters around yeah. you, twenty refs too close to the platform. Like for sure, and it, it kind of ruins the experience. I'm like, how on earth can you make powerlifting? Cool. Not yeah, cool. How can you make it cool? How can you make it mass appealing? And the reason I was thinking about this was last week I had um, this pro wrestler in um, Brian Cage. Yeah, I saw that. that was sick. Really cool. And again, <laughs> this is I have got no background whatsoever in wrestling or any of this kind of stuff. It's a whole new world to me. So I could be completely butchering everything, but I think I might be remembering wrong. But I think what he was telling me was like, we all know pro wrestling is fake. Um, the reason well, why? <laughs> hang on. What? <laughs> <laughs> My, my, my childhood is ruined. Spoiler Fuck. alert. Next you're going to say Arnold was on gear. <laughs> but apparently the big reason why it became fake was because they, they realized, you know what? In actual physical pro wrestling as a sport, it's not interesting. Nobody cares. It's not fun. It's not exciting. It's not getting bums on seats. So like, hey, how do we make it a more commercialized? How do we make it more interesting? How do we make it more of a show where it's mass appeal? That's where it became a show, like a reality show at this point, or it's, it's entertainment. Um, with really cool showmanship. Mm. I was like, does powerlifting have to go down that kind of route <laughs> where there's big personalities and there's big uh, backstories to it and the lifting is kind of secondary, but it's still impressive lifting. Yeah, Like the wrestlers, even though it's fake, I can't do that. It's very well rehearsed stuff and very well p- performed machines on there with what they're doing. Um, it's still impressive feats. It's funny, like if you think about it, Real wrestling versus like the choreographed nature. The choreographed nature would take a shitload more skill. Well, I agree. You can't make it up sure. as you go along. You have well, to re- re- rehearse this entire dance. So this right? is what was new to me. Brian was saying most like nine times out of ten, it's they make it up ten ten minutes before they go on stage. No way. I I always figured yeah. the whole thing was, was like very little improvisation. No, they're, they're doing it even improving on the spot. The, the ref will say, "Hey, you got three minutes till till we go home." Because it's all on TV. Yeah. They've got to make sure it falls on the T, but they don't get to plan it sometimes. Sometimes they do. For like the big show, like John Cena or The Rock, they're planning that, yeah. choreographing that for more of a safety and for hitting into certain budget times. But apparently for like a lot of the, the shows that go on, it's, it's not improvised. Or yeah. it is improvised, sorry. Where they just show up and 
maybe an hour before saying, hey, so I want to do this move on you. I've got a win today, so we're going to do this and we'll do this for 10 minutes and five minutes here at the three-minute mark. We'll jump into that. Mm. But it's, they just got to hope that they don't know what each other's talking about. And then live on the mat, they might need to change it up, which is crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, wild. Now, coming back to like... Um, the, the language is super important. That's why I didn't say I want to commercialize powerlifting. Mm. I want to commercialize mm. strength training. And then once, right. once people are in that environment, they're exposed to powerlifting. And if we encourage them down that path, you know, that, that puts them down that path. Otherwise, a lot of people that come to our gyms just like being near it. They right. don't necessarily, you know, take the bait and end up being full-blown powerlifters. That's fair enough. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, like it's when, when people think of, of powerlifting gyms, they think, okay, well, these people are catering towards powerlifters. That's the worst business model ever because, <laughs> because powerlifters are already powerlifting. Like you want to attract new people to it. And you think, okay, where are these people that are going to do powerlifting? They're not noobs. They're not brand new to the gym. They're people invested in strength training in a commercial gym that don't know how to get any better. That's mm. when they go out and seek a powerlifting coach. So if I can just put those people in my gym, my target market is right in front of me. Right. I don't have to reach out to them and find them. Yeah. They come to me. And so that's been a huge success. The other huge success is like, if you think of how fitness brands grow, they kind of go off in a few branches. Like um, yourself, for example, you'd fall under, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a personal brand. Mm. You know, it's built off your personal success and you've managed to find a way to scale that massively. Most people either don't know how to do that, can't do that, whatever. A big part of... Uh, from the outside looking in, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not like you happened overnight and got viral. It's like you've been grinding for a very long time. Mm. You've been going around the world and you've been working fucking hard. It's not an overnight success story, right? Um, the other thing, and this is where powerlifting coaches or just PTs in general tend to fall apart. It's like they fill up their books. They're like, what's the logical next step? Either get another coach on board or open a gym, open a gym, sure, fill up those books get another coach on board. Uh, when they get to the point of, okay, I need more people on board, they try and go out and find coaches. Mm. They find coaches with different philosophies. The coach gets hired. They're like, oh, I don't like what they're doing. Fire them, get a new one. Just churn through them. Mm. Because it's very hard to take your coaching out of you and put it in someone else. And this is what I mean when I'm talking about zeros built on this product. I've turned that into a coach development system that I now sell as like education. Right. But it's been born of like, oh, I can teach another person how to coach and then I can hire them and then I have a mini me and then another mini me, another mini me. Uh -huh. And so Zero sells the same product no matter what Zero you go to. And most coaches, personal trainers, whatever, they bring on coaches and the product is inconsistent and that just kills the ability to scale. Mm. So most powerlifting brands that try to pe build people, uh, bring people on and then build to the next level just run into that hurdle. Right. Uh, and so that... Uh, when I think of, or when I talk to these, you know, smaller gyms that have seen what Zero's done, it's like you have to take your, you have to systemize everything you do. You have to become McDonald's. And when mm. you go to McDonald's, you buy a hamburger, it's a hamburger, no matter where you go, it's a Big Mac, no matter where you go. You want that with your coaching. You want the squat to be the, taught the same, no matter where you go. You want the programming systems to be the same, no matter where you go. Anyway, I feel like we're talking more about zero now. We need to go. We need to go back <laughs> that to that. Was this. really my goal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I want to know how it all started out for you. Like, how did you get involved in in training and fitness in the first place? Like, take us way back. Wow. Okay. Um, I was just a really small Asian kid, and I just needed to <laughs> put on muscle. That was it. I was playing sport, and I was just a small person. So I just started going to the gym when I was like um, fifteen or so, and started to live or fourteen, and um, 
started lifting properly then, or as properly as you can as a 14-year-old. And that was it. I just kept, I just really enjoyed it. I was good at it because I'm not good at any physical sport. Mm-hmm. Horrible at running, horrible at anything, hand-eye coordination, tennis, whatever. I'm just suck at it. Um, but the gym, I was like, oh, this is something I can do and I can actually excel at. And then um, what I also really liked about it was it wasn't necessarily a competitive thing in a sporting sense because I was just never into that. And um, then when it came to, like, say, bodybuilding, I liked that because I realized oh, I actually got a really good structure for bodybuilding specifically. Um, and also even just, like, putting on muscle or just being strong, I've got pretty good leverages overall to be able to get into nice positions and move well. Um, and that was just where I just, you know, you get that, affirmation so you keep doing more and more of it mm. that was just like you know some kids they're blessed to play basketball if they start playing basketball they get affirmations and rewards for it so they keep doing it. they get really really good at it because they just fell into it i kind of fell into training and that was it i was like well, this is what i do now mm. and it's just been non-stop on that i mean now it's very much not bodybuilding um it's a lot of now I'm actually getting more into things like running mm. <laughs> sort of mix it up a little bit and um just see what entices me more because i just I find some things get boring over time. You want to keep yourself stimulated, which is what I find impressive about people like yourself who've done the same kind of thing or the same style for so long. Like, wow, it's, I know that I can't do that. I can't pay attention to something and for that long all the way through, I'll get fidgety and be like, <laughs> I want to do a handstand now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you started when you are 15. How old are you now? Uh, 32. 31, 32. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, 30, uh, 32 this year. Yeah, 32 this year. Okay. Um, and how did, you know, playing around with the gym, doing a bit of strength stuff, doing some bodybuilding stuff, turn into coaching people? Or did, did you become a PT? Yeah. So was I, that I was, the trajectory? Yeah. yeah, so I was training in the gym through high school. Second I left high school, I just joined the local fitness first and I was just training there. And then I was like, okay, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'd like to work here. So I just... I said, how do I, how do I get a job here? Like, oh, you got to get your cert three, cert four. Mm-hmm. Did that and then just started working there as a PT and did that for many years. Um, moved through a couple of different commercial gyms, just as you do. And that just kept growing. That was it. Just what I was doing. Again, I guess to come back to the whole, the first part of the conversation around like the exceptional product and service, looking back on it now, it wasn't exceptional. It wasn't world-class. I don't think it would um, be anything that I would compare to maybe what you guys do at Zero. But back then it was enough and it was above what other people were doing for whatever reason. Um, because that, it just grew. I had clients who would do whatever they could to continue seeing me. They would travel to see me. I had people traveling a couple of hours to come see me each week. Um, people relocating so they could train with me. I was like, okay, this is obviously, I'm doing something right mm. and I can't keep up with the demand. What can I do to make this more scalable? And it wasn't online coaching. It was actually just, okay, I don't want to see you every single day anymore even though you're going to pay me to do that, I'd rather see you once a month. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather you take care of yourself and we just check in on a more casual basis. We'll still do a session for a proper refresher. Um, and that then allowed me to take on more people. And then the stuff I was talking about through social media, people were interested in that. So I started teaching that stuff a little bit more and just talking about whatever I learned and what else you working for me. Um, it's pretty much whatever I've always done, whenever I've been learning um, for myself or in business or whatever, I'll just share it. Because that's what I do on social media. So social media is made for to share your ideas and what you're going through. And, you know, people connected with that. So it just kept growing and growing and growing to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to give a workshop now. I'm going to just to be able to get let people come and hear this same talk that I'm giving to individual people in consults. I'll give it to everybody at once. I'll do it now overseas. I'll do it everywhere overseas. And I'll just keep doing that. 
I can't keep up with everybody doing it overseas. I will do it now on a website mm. where it can be delivered to anybody who can't come to my events because they sell out. Um, and then it was like, okay, I'll make that into an app so it's a better user experience. Now people just don't want to learn about it. They want the actual nuts and bolts of the implementation. It's cool to learn about programming, but sometimes you just want to be lazy and be told what to do. So I'll give you that now. And that's where we're at now. Mm-hmm. It was just through every time I was just trying to provide whatever I could and try to keep up with what people wanted. And I was like, okay, this is what I'll go to next. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, where we're at. Like I never started from day one saying, I want to have an app. I'm going to have millions of people following me and build this up and make money that way. I was happy training mm-hmm. people you know, in, in fitness first. And so how did you... What gave you the confidence to do the first seminar or workshop? Um, just being asked, honestly. Okay. I, had a, I had a client over in Perth, um, just online client, and he was like, hey, look, I, you, know, you train four of my coaches and me. You're going to have at least five people at this event mm. if you do it. Do you want to do an event at my gym? I said, sure, okay, I'll do that. And that was it. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah. I wouldn't have put myself out there. Not out of lack of confidence, but more just like lack of a thought to even do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was, actually, no, there's actually two sides. That was what made me do it. Um, and the funny thing is out of those five people who would have come, none of them came. <laughs> no way. <laughs> the gym owner came because he was there, but yeah. the actual staff client, they didn't come at all. Oh, it's always the way. That's, um, that's what opening a gym is. It's like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. definitely join. Yeah. No, none, count on none of those people joining. <laughs> no one. Um, but actually, so that was part of it. But actually- I did misspeak then. Um, I went to a few events around this 2013, 2015-ish period and I was like, these people aren't doing anything that I feel like I couldn't do. Yep. They're not teaching stuff that I don't think I could be teaching. They're not presenting it in a way that seems so weird or whatever. And I thought, I can definitely do this and I can definitely do this better mm. than what they're doing. Um, not because I know more than them, because honestly I didn't for some of these people, but because maybe the presentation style or the engagement, I was like, yeah, this is really good information, but it's fucking boring. Mm. You're not teaching it well. I know that I can make it more engaging um, for the person or, or I just had other ideas, different ideas that I wanted to talk about. I know that I could do it well. I was like, okay, this, this is what puts bums on seats and you're able to do it. I can do it too. And then having that um, olive branch reached out, I guess, by the clients in Perth. I was like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity. I'll just do it. And then when I did that, seeing people saying, hey, what about Melbourne? What about Sydney? What about... I was like, okay, I guess I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, worst, absolute worst case is I lose a weekend. Yeah. And I'm probably going to be able to break even on costs because it's not that expensive to get a flight and a couple of nights in a hotel. Mm. That's all your expenses really are that are going to be different. I was like, I, I, can, I can afford to do this. Um, and they just kept going, which was, you know, that built up the confidence. How would you define what the workshops were? Um, yeah, good question. It's very, <laughs> an immersive experience. Because um, I, I sort of, sorry to cut you off, I sort of look back on that and I, I first came, uh, I, I first caught a wind of who you are when I think you did some collaboration with Sebastian. Uh, mm. I think you did some stuff in, in Sydney with Sebastian. Anyway, yeah. I, I caught wind of you somewhere around that time, which would have been like 2018 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if I think back to that time and compare it to the times now, mm. you're like the original, the original, like uh, the original Kaz, the original, like really well thought out approach to doing weights based on an understanding of functional anatomy. Right. But I don't know how you'd surmise that to something a little bit cleaner. Like, would you just say it was a lifting workshop? Yeah. Like if I had to tell someone elevated pitch what I do, I teach people how to lift in, in workshops. Yeah. <laughs> I teach people um, not just how to lift, but I guess, um, how to think for themselves with lifting. 
Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, very much what you do in your coaching workshops as well, is you don't want to say, here is our technique cues or whatever that we give, go carbon copy it. But you say, here is why yes. it works the way that we do. Here's why we teach the hinge this way or the squat this way. Here's why we do bar placement or the walkout in this particular ways. Um, you go into the nuts and bolts and it's based on the principles. Uh-huh. So I teach people the principles of how to lift in the gym or how to eat or whatever it is they, they care about. And the funny thing is I've always had the exact same name of the workshop since day one of Muscle Mechanics because it cool. um, cool. yeah. it's really cool. It is cool. It's really cool now. I can't remember where I got it from. I probably stole it from somewhere. Um, I know that it's trademarked by somebody else, a massage therapist somewhere. Uh-huh. I tried to get trademarked for it years ago. I was like, oh, I can't. But I just did it anyway. Um, don't sue me, please. Um, <laughs> but the workshop itself, the substance of it has changed so much in terms yes. of like the what gets taught in it or the, the principles are always the same. But the actual example of exercises or techniques used or whatever based upon how what I learned because I change it because I learned more like oh that was completely wrong or there's a better way to teach things mm. or I just get bored teaching the same thing the exact same way over and over and over again I'm like okay if I'm doing this same live live gig live event 50 times in the span of you know six months I'm going to get burned out and bored I want to mix it up a little bit mm-hmm. so I'll just find a way to teach the squat differently instead or I get put into an environment where I don't have a good gym setup, so I've got to improvise and that'll create a whole new module in itself mm. yeah and what was uh what was the thing that sort of got you over the line to do your first international workshop um very much the same thing as the Perth situation Just demand client over there in the UK I was like hey I'm in this awesome gym um I know people here would love love to have you here um I'll I'll help you out. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll advertise it and see what happens. And advertise it. It's sold. I was like, oh shit, people actually want me there. <laughs> okay. And then I was like, okay, I'm going here. That's a long flight to the, it was the UK. I said, I'll try to plan a few more events around then. And then the word of mouth spreads around people. It became a world tour then. Mm. I was like six months of people just saying, hey, can you come here? Can you come here? I was like, okay, if I'm really making this big flight out, I might as well make it worthwhile and hit as many cities as I can, as many dates as I can. Um, and it just kept going mm. and it just spun that way. But it was all just, again, just from, I knew that I wanted to do it because I was doing so many domestically that I was like, I didn't have the right, I didn't know how to start. Mm. But a guy said to me, hey, I'm working in this gym. I know the trainers here who follow you, who'd love to come to it, do it. And I was like, okay, that was it. Yeah. yeah. And when, so when you say you were, you know, starting to, um, starting to put yourself out on social media, are you talking about Instagram back then, Facebook? What, what was your primary sort of social media um, driver? Facebook. So th- I started posting on Facebook around 2011. Um, and it was walls of text. Mm. Like, here is why I don't like intermittent fasting. Or here is why I do this with my squat. Or here is how I train for strength versus hypertrophy. And it'd be long walls of text. That would do well on Facebook yeah. back then. It was weird. Now people don't want to read shit. No. It was like an extensive, you know, five, 10 minute read on a Facebook wall post, but people cared about it back then. Um, and that was it. And then that just kept going. And then eventually I got into Instagram. I was like, oh, I'll start posting that. I'll post some photos, post some videos because videos were just, just starting out then. And then it just kept going. Um, I think like, fortunately for me, like I was a relatively early adopter of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just enjoyed doing that. And again, same thing as like, um, as anything, when you start getting the positive feedback and affirmation, you just keep doing it more and more. Mm. You get addicted to that. And that just drove me to keep doing it at as large a scale as I possibly could to the point where like, you know, I have this gym. This gym is literally just for content creation. 
mm. for me so too, I can create reels on Instagram, you know? It's, it's an nice. Instagram studio. Nice. <laughs> See? I mean, it's, it's, it's relevant. It's what you need. Mm. Sure. Especially with something like the app, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you this question because I get asked this question and it pisses me off. It right. doesn't piss me off, but it's just a weird question to get asked, which is, you know, you, you finished school, you started personal training out of fitness first, bounce around, did you cert three and four? Where did you learn all your stuff from there? Like if you were to sort of pinpoint some early influences or the sources that you went to for information, what would you say? Yeah, I'm, I've got a really, really, um, it's underwhelming and unimpressive resume of courses, um, of even like continuing education courses or anything like that, of, of mentors. I have had a few just random coaches. I've worked with bodybuilding coaches and mentors in that field. Um, and some of them have been quite impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so, it wasn't any specific one person or one course. It was, I did have one coach who was working with me years ago, this random old school guy called Gus uh, um, when I was in the commercial gyms helping with bodybuilding. But he really pushed me to always ask why mm-hmm. and to be very analytical. He, what he taught me wasn't necessarily right or wrong or good or bad. Some of it was downright wrong and horrible and bad. Um, but he would really push me to always ask why and to analyze everything I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like having that as the mentality, which I think I also had innately from a younger age or at some point when I was growing up and as a kid, I always asked, wanted to know why and really understand on that completely obsessive level um, and just like lap in bed thinking about a thing. What if? Um, but having that curiosity and that analytical approach to anything you do, you will succeed in accruing knowledge if that is your thing, the goal at hand, mm-hmm. because you won't, read a book just because you want to get the information from the book into your brain. You want to read it because you really want to understand this one question that's been bugging you for three weeks straight. Mm. Is this really, really important? How do I understand this? I'm going to read as many books as I can to understand the whole length tension relationship or whatever it may be. Ah, okay. It makes a bit of sense now. That will push you to try to sift through all the stuff that you don't understand. Like I don't, I'm not scientifically trained to read papers or anything like that. I don't interpret them well, which is why I don't talk about that kind of stuff that much. Mm-hmm. But I know enough to be able to really dig into it to try to understand it just from having to force myself to learn this stuff um, because I cared about trying to answer the question of why is the mind-muscle crampy sensation connection that you get not a good thing mm-hmm. with training? Or is it a good thing? Or is it good or bad? I don't know. Trying to answer that question took me several years of studying of my own self-study of trying to analyze that one question mm. and repeat that enough times over, you know, 15 odd years, you're going to accrue some knowledge mm-hmm. in any field. Same as powerlifting. You know, I was, you know, learning a lot from Sebastian. I'd fly up there as many times as I could to learn from him. We went to his, his courses a dozen times, um, the exact same course to just try to understand it better or just to retain it better and just to apply it better or differently or whatever. Cause I was obsessed with it at the time. Mm. Um, that was it. If you were in that phase of learning and growth, let's say, you know, your early twenties, especially Mm. now, do you think it would be more difficult to take that, uh, that mindset of like, I need to critically think about everything. Do you think it would be more difficult now, given the, uh, the absolute ubiquitousness of nonstop information and especially very like pendulum swingy information. It's always like, this is completely right. No way, it's completely wrong. 
you think it's more difficult now or do you think it's just the same we're just in a different landscape? I think it is easier for the right person. Mm-hmm. And this is not to toot my own saying I'm the right person, but again, it comes down to the mentality where if you approach those kind of topics of, hey, is our barbell squats good? Are upright rows a good exercise? Or are they causing internal rotation going to damage your AC joint or whatever? You're going to hear cases very compelling cases for and against it Mm. from very well-learned individuals. And it's going to leave you frustrated if you approach that question just trying to search for the right answer Mm -hmm. as opposed to seeking understanding as to why person A says this versus person B saying this. Of course, it's going to be shit for you. But if you're saying, I want to understand the perspectives just to try to find a closer approximation of the truth, but not even the perfect answer then we're in, a, we're in the best age possible mm-hmm. where you have so much information to be able to synthesize through. You know, 10 years ago, if I wanted to understand if upright rows are good versus bad, I had to try to maybe seek out some biomechanics textbooks. Maybe I had to try to understand, I had to maybe go to a, a cadaver course of some sort where I could see the actual structures in a physical human of, oh, this is what happens when you internally rotate in the, in the actual human body in the tissue. Or you had to hope that you could speak to the right anatomist or biomechanist or the right physio to hear their perspective. But then we don't have the right, you don't have the um, ability to collate that as much, but we mm. do now you access that all on YouTube. You access it all on Instagram in a really entertaining format. Cause the cool thing is you can't just access the information, but you have the ability because the, the market has demanded it. You can access the information in a really exciting and engaging way. Because in order to break through the noise, you can't post a wall of text anymore. You can't post a 30-minute mm-hmm. lecture. You've got to find a way to take a 30-minute lecture and put it into a 30-second TikTok <laughs> and actually provide substance and good value and something that is quite nuanced, mm-hmm. which is possible. You know, people are like, oh, you know, TikTok's bullshit, reels and destroyed nuance. No, it's because you suck at communicating that nuance. It's because (laughs) you suck at breaking it down enough. And yes, you can't, of course, you can't take a 30, you can't take a a 10 year course or degree or PhD and break it down to a a one minute clip. But you can definitely, with the right communication strategy and the right knowledge around it, learn how to pull out what's necessary for this person for this one piece of content and communicate it and create more content Mm -hmm. and make it exciting. And we have that at our availabilities, which is cool. So I think we're in the best possible um, environment right now to learn and mm. to flourish, for sure. I think one really positive thing that comes with the, um, uh, like you say, the consumer demand for more information and people putting out so much of their information is that now, even though they may not be completely transparent about it, the context in which they're coming from is very apparent. Mm. And so like one, one thing that can be difficult for people when reading information is understanding the context in which this person is talking. Mm. And so like someone will say something about shoulder positioning and movement from like an athletic performance perspective and someone as a powerlifter may read that and be like, okay, well, here's how I would apply that to powerlifting. And then when they apply it to powerlifting, it doesn't make any sense. Right. E- even what you were saying before, like the language you were using around like, is a barbell squat good or is a upright row good? The first question should be is like good at what or good for what or what is good and what is bad? What context are we talking about? Mm. Are the knees caving in on squats a bad thing? I always say yes to that question. 
and people arc up at that because they're like, no, your knees are going to be fine. I'm like, who the fuck's talking about knees? <laughs> I'm not talking about the health of your knees. I'm talking about, I coach guys that are squatting 455 kilos. Bad to me is less weight than that. Sure. For, good for me is more weight. And so it's all about context. And I feel like the more prevalent information is from people, the more consistent they are with it, the easier it is to actually hear their message. Mm. And then like you were saying, the understanding, the principal understanding is important. Then it's up to the consumer to go, okay, I need to understand more about that. Go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole. Yes. So I, I love that. I, cause I agree. Um, a lot of people hate the whole growth of social media and this, uh, what they feel as, as you were saying, the dilution of information, but I think it's great. For sure. I think, um, you know, and this may be a little bit myopic of me to say it, but I think a lot of the people who um, are against this and, and who have only bad things to say about how social media has ruined information or whatever, I think is because they're not good at using social media mm-hmm. and they haven't adapted to the environment uh, because maybe they haven't grown up with it. They grew up in a field of doing PhDs and lectures and things like that and having to go through a formal study route. And they sort of look down upon people who go through other avenues to be able to gain information and to be able to communicate it effectively. Um, so I think it's more, you should learn to embrace these things as this is the world that we live in now. You can mm. either be against it and just get left behind or you can embrace it and do exceptionally well with it. And you see like in the evidence-based community, there are so many good people putting out great nuanced information and doing very well with it on social media. And you know they find their people, they mm. find their tribes to grow on that. Do you think, uh, you know, just the, the generation that you've come from and the, the way the world has changed while you've been on this development arc has made it quite easy to adapt to what consumers want? In terms of like, you know, you started on Facebook with walls of text and then you've mm-hmm. recognized the change in the industry happening or the change in how social media uh, works happening. Have you ever had any troubles with adapting to whatever the next step has been? Um, yeah, no, no I... I don't think I really have, um, and I'll, but I'll tell you for sure. Um, if I was forty-two or not thirty-two, probably would struggle a lot more. Yeah, because I wouldn't have grown up like even like we didn't necessarily grow up with social media in our hands the way kids do now. Um, but we were—I was at the right age where I could understand it for what it was mm-hmm. when it was developing and get on there early enough to be able to start working with it and embracing it and you know tinker around and learning with it where it hasn't necessarily been a struggle when like a new platform comes like TikTok or YouTube, or like, I know how to succeed on that. I know mm-hmm. how to create content that will communicate effectively and do well and be able to have the right impact on the right people. Mm-hmm. Do you ever miss how information was or how you were disseminating information when you started? Um, kind of, because it was simpler times. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, I can just write this out. But now, now um, like, you know, 10 years ago, I can just write an essay and pump it out. Now I write that exact same essay and I've got to then do a dozen rewrites and edits and condensing it. And I've got to think about the pacing of it to make sure that um, it's going to have the maximum watch time, the maximum engagement. There's not going to be a big drop off in the first 30 seconds. I've got to make sure the first, I've got to think about the title. I've got to think about the whole package of the experience for YouTube or for Instagram. I've got to think about the lighting. I've got to think about all these things. I miss it. Those are saying, it's the exact same information. Mm. I put out the exact same thing I put out 10 years ago, but it's in a very different format. Now that's good and bad because it's exciting. It's fun. It's rewarding to be able to, because it forces you to learn new skills about video production or audio or just the psychology of what makes um, 
shows or TV shows addictive? What makes them exciting? What makes clickbait? What makes people engage positively or negatively? It's psychology. You're learning about human behavior. Mm. You don't learn that from a wall of text of pumping out information as an essay. Mm. So it's, you know, it's got its own advantages and disadvantages. But, you know, I flip-flop. Every other day I'm telling Katrina, I fucking hate YouTube. <laughs> I hate doing this. I hate social media. I hate doing this stuff. I've had enough. I'm done. I'm done. I literally a month ago recorded a video for YouTube saying I'm done. Not as a clickbait being like, oh, I'm fucking done. Yeah. I've had enough. <laughs> I don't want to do because I hate it. Yeah. But then I also love it. It's because it pushes you in mm. that way. Um, and that's the thing that I'll start up till 2 a.m. editing a video, getting it just right and scrapping the whole thing and starting it again to make it even better. Uh-huh. Um, so I can't say I hate it when I do that. Yeah, I obviously yeah. am addicted to it in some way, in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suppose it's, um, you know, for you that when you get those mental battles, because it is such a huge part of what your business relies on, because it, mm. it is in some sense is a one man show. Like I know there's, yeah. there's a team and everything, but it heavily relies on you being you and you doing your thing. For sure. Do you ever feel trapped? Um, yeah, for sure. There are definitely times, moments, extended periods of times where I'm like, wow, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm chained to have to continue down this trajectory of creating. And that's part of like, you know, where um, there has been a big pivot point in the last 12 months um, specifically and, and where the next 12 months will go for Gambaru and for myself as a brand is um, I've always been about collaboration. I've always been about, I want to learn from many people. I want to credit as many people. I want, you know, your success is my success like doing a podcast right now, I want this podcast specifically. I want this to do as well as possible. I want your business to do as well as possible. I'm not going to see direct gain from you opening 10 more gyms, Mm. but I will indirectly. And I will still just from a personal satisfaction, like, oh, cool, it's cool cool seeing you doing really well. That's awesome. Um, But I've always been of that mindset of like, I know that I can't do things like even being like a one-man show, in inverted commas. I'm still not a one-man show and it's all about collaboration. So part of it, of me feeling trapped at times, I've realized the way forwards now is embracing even more of that collaboration mm-hmm. and bringing as many people as I can and helping them shine through Gambaru and um, helping put them on the pedestal and not just me and helping to grow their personal brands and their own businesses or whatever by using Gambaru as a vehicle. And that's part of like where, um, where there's a lot of... Um, guest collaborators coming into the Gamber experience, providing their own programs or an experience that will be coming out through the next 12 months or so. Because I know that I can't, like if somebody asks me, hey, I want to do powerlifting program, like I can write something for you. I know the technical details in writing a program that's probably going to get you 80% of the way there. And on paper, it might look very close to something that you might program as well because it's, it's theoretical there. Mm. But I know that it's never going to be as good coming from me as it would be from you. Mm-hmm. Never no matter what, because I don't have that understanding because I haven't squatted 400 kilos. I haven't worked with that many bodies across over a decade in powerlifting specifically. So if somebody's asking for a powerlifting program, why should I write it? Mm-hmm. I would rather somebody else do it. I'd rather use my platform to help them leverage off my people and my platform and grow them even more. Because again, your success or their success is my success. I don't have an ego in that. I'd rather be able to do what I do really well, which is create a big all-encompassing brand that can reach a lot of people by having really good communication strategies, outreach strategies and experience within the app experience, whatever. I can really double down on those things and things I can't do like write a powerlifting program or a running program or a plyometric program. I would rather get other people doing that Mm -hmm. 
because I will butcher it. I'll be horrible at that. You don't want that from me. You, know, you don't want my squat program for, for powerlifting. You don't want that. It's going to break everything in your body <laughs> as much as I can know it theoretically. So it sounds like you're, you're finding a, like a, a, a reinvigoration, a new driving force through the whole concept of just serving others. Like you've yeah. obviously been serving for a long time because yeah. you've worked with so many people and built such a, such a huge following. But it's, it's interesting how the concept of serving others, like think of your journey as a, a personal trainer has shifted from the individual right in front of you. Like it yeah. has to change if you're going to scale. For sure. Because how, how do you sure. serve 12,000 people? Like Absolutely. you can't look after 12,000 people. And so um, it's cool to see how, that's clearly been clearly been something that you deal with in your head is like how do I continue to serve, continue to serve, continue to serve, and how it's changing as your growth has happened and how mm. your model has shifted and uh, it's yeah, it's awesome. Love Thank to you. hear it. Yeah, I mean a big part of it is like it's by necessity because again I can't service twelve thousand, twenty thousand. What brought me from a thousand to twelve thousand won't get me to a hundred to hundred thousand. Mm. Those same systems won't work. Um, but another part is now that I have this many people, I have this following. I can, I've got something I can take to somebody and say, hey, look, I can, I've got this many people. I've got this audience. I have this thing. I have this app. I have this thing that, um, I have this reputation that I didn't have five years ago. They didn't have 10 years ago. So even though I had the same vision back then, I couldn't, I didn't have nothing to offer. Mm. But now I do, which is why like this is where the point, the pivot point in the journey is now like, oh, now that I've got the opportunity to do these things now, of course it makes, it makes sense. Even five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do the same collaborations that I can do now because people wouldn't listen to me. People, I w wouldn't have as much social proof from a reputation of a large scale following and millions of hundreds, millions of views and millions of hours worth of good content being put out to create that reputation and brand. Mm -hmm. It's had to come through time. Do you have any controls in place, either in your own head or whatever, when it comes to, okay, you want to collaborate with more and more people. Obviously you, 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 you sit in a, a certain position in the industry. Anyone who's behind in that position, uh, you know, like you were saying before, they, you may not see a direct benefit off of, you know, my business growing. Uh, but there probably is a direct benefit with me talking to you right now Absolutely. and having a relationship with you. How do you have, do you have any controls in place that sort of put up red flags with you? Like, uh, I know this person is just trying to leverage off me. Oh, for sure. If someone's a dick, and you, can <laughs> you can tell pretty quickly when someone's not authentic or they're, they're using you um, within the first five minutes, maybe five seconds of an interaction, you can tell if they actually have um, a, a, a bigger picture in mind as opposed to their own back pocket and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then I just want to deal with them. I'm like, yeah, cool, you're, you're out. Um, it's taken, that, and that filter has taken me time to develop as well. Yeah, that was going to be know, my sure. next question. There's been many, <laughs> many periods where, you know, working with um, some people where I've come to realize, oh, wow, you, it's a very transactional relationship. Mm. You only like me because of um, what I can potentially bring to you. And if I don't play ball all the time with giving you the, the reshares or the posts or the traction or whatever, then you're, you don't care at all. And it's all just about, bottom line and it's not about maybe the bigger impact on what you could have on the communities of people in fitness or whatever it may be um and i like to get then it's i walk away from that and yeah you know it wasn't very apparent to me at first but now i've learned to do that because you know, you've been burned that many times like mm -hmm. yeah okay this is what a dick looks like 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that because they 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 do make themselves known. Like for me, if this SD had popped out, if I'd never hit record, if that had never hit record, like that's what I came here for. I came right. here for to chat to you and find out your story. Yeah, if it never sure. got out to the world, if you don't reshare, it doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, I mean, it means something to me. But like, I'm here to learn from you. I'm here to chat to you, to mm. meet you. I've heard nothing but great things about you. I've listened to your podcast. I've followed your stuff. Like this this is what I get out of it. Mm. And I can take this experience and I can apply it to me. I can apply it to my business. I can hear you talk about your business. I can hear you talk about like that idea of serving others. Like all of that stuff is inspirational for me to go back and like, how are the, how are the, the top dogs in this industry doing it? How can I do my thing better? So the people under zero get a better experience. That's all I care about. Mm. Um, and the more, the more people that are doing like, we're, we're lucky to be surrounded by people like that. Like Will and sure. Mickey, you know, the, sure. what they're doing with Nexus, like the strength culture boys, you know, like it, it's, this is a really cool industry. Lots of people talk shit on how this industry is and how it acts, but we're surrounded by really great people. Yeah. It just depends on the perspective you take. Like if you see people as your competitors, then like if you see Will and Mickey at Nexus as your competitors, it's going to be a shit experience. Yeah. But if you see it as, oh, there's more than enough. There's, there's a pie that's big enough for everybody all the time and we can all help each other. It's always going to be a positive experience. Yeah. And there's no losers in this. Yeah. I use the pie analogy all the time. A smaller sli slice of a bigger pie is way better than a little pie to yourself. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, man, we've been going for almost an hour. Um, I want to ask you just to finish things off. Uh, Gambaru, wh where did that name come from? How did you come up with it? What does it mean to you? Yeah, um, there was a female bodybuilder, um, a friend of mine I used to follow up in um, Sydney, it's called Jocelyn. And she um, had her, her Instagram name was Gambaru. This is 10 years ago or so. I was like, I don't know what this word means. I thought it was just a random word. So that was it. I just, just some random person who I just knew on through the bodybuilding industry had that as a, as a screen name. So I Googled and I was like, oh, that's a really cool word. You know, it's a really got a really nice meaning and sentiment behind it. It's a very, um, it just rolls off the tongue really nicely. Rhymes with kangaroo, if you say it like that. Kangaroo, <laughs> gambaroo. Um, so it fits and that was it. Because um, it's, yeah, it's Japanese. I'm not Japanese, but I like Japanese culture. Um, and just the whole mentality behind this idea of perseverance, which the Japanese do take to an extreme stuff that, yeah, we have a word called perseverance. We have a word for resilience, but it's not the same as Gambaru. The, the spirit they embody with that, it's a whole different thing. Like you've been to Japan, you've, you know, you know that culture quite well. It's, it's a different, something that we really can't fathom and we can't replicate as Westerners, you know? So I, I love that. So that's what the word means, perseverance. Yeah, if you, uh, if, well. you, if you were to give it a translation, it'd be perseverance, but even that doesn't really encapsulate what it, mm -hmm. the level of the degree of perseverance or what they go through and how they use it as a word of encouragement and as a word of showing character um, and spirit. Well, hang um, on a second. Did you just steal this off this woman? Or did, like, oh, yeah, for sure. Did she change it? Oh, she changed it, yeah. She okay. Changed, yeah, she changed it, yeah. <laughs> did you ask her first? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, okay. it's, not, it's not a trademark. Yeah, you know? yeah. It wasn't her brand. She just liked the word, so she put it as her Instagram handle. I was like, oh, it's a cool word. Yeah. Um, that was it. Uh, I, I love seeing <laughs> the amount of, like, strength coaches. Like, there's Australian strength coach, and then everyone else is like, oh, fuck, he's doing well. It's like... It's like Brisbane strength coach or like <laughs> fucking Mildura strength coach or something like that. Uh, yeah. But I think that's the secret sauce. It, it's all in the, it's having a catchy brand name is what's going to bring people in. It's like, ah, it's not it. It's 
all on Instagram now. What's your What's your favorite milestone that you've hit over the time that you've been like uh, you know from from a PT uh, starting out all the way to now? Is there a milestone that stands out the most? Whether it's like you got your tenth client, you got your thousandth follower, or your hundred thousandth follower, or your thousandth fuck that's a hard word to say the number one thousand app subscriber is there a milestone to you that really stands out um no numbers like that but there has definitely been things whereas like like traveling in general being able to like growing up i never traveled ever because i never want to take any time off work like i would work through christmas i'd work on christmas day at the gym um so i had the opportunity to say oh i can actually travel for work and be have it have people fly across like take several hours out of their life or days to fly and come see me in different parts of the world in the most remote places and i'm like this is obscure it's really cool you yeah. have that have those shared experiences and then that was a really cool thing because something that you like you know the fitness industry is big um, but you don't really know until you really get out there and realize all these people are here connected by the exact same thing they don't speak the same mm. language or they, they talk differently or they have different backgrounds um, but they all share this unified experience of health and fitness and training in general um, that was really cool big milestone was just doing that is international touring um, not one specific date but the whole concept of it yeah um Probably the other one was just having this gym. Yeah. Like being at a point where I say, I, not that I can afford this gym, but it was actually a necessity. Uh-huh. That was a cool muscle. Actually, I, it costs me more money to not have a gym than it does to have a gym. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, not necessarily profit margin, but the ability to do what I want to do, yeah. which is reach people and communicate positively and give them good experiences. Even on a 30 second Instagram post, mm-hmm. I can do it in a fitness first or in a commercial gym and it'll do pretty well, but I can do it here and I'll be doing even better. Like, I'd rather do it here just for that. And being able to do that is cool. Yeah, fuck yeah. What, what's your favorite place you've been to uh, for work? Um, probably Italy, Rome. Nice. Yeah, um, that was cool. It's really good people. Um, most of them at, in the seminar didn't speak English. Um, so that was fun. Do you have to, a translator? Um, yeah, yeah. I had a guy that was helping to translate, um, which was just, just, it didn't stick with that we'd need him. Mm. So he wasn't really ready for it. I was like, oh shit, I guess I need you to help translate some of this stuff. A lot of it was just more, we would just pantomime yeah. and try to communicate things through just movement as opposed to yeah. having to use words. Yeah, um, yeah. Otherwise a seminar would take twice as long because you've got to translate everything of course. twice. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun being out there. Yeah, I had the same experience in PNG, except the translator couldn't really speak English anyway. So it was a lot of just like, oh, yeah, a lot of just like, <laughs> miming and pointing and yeah. yeah but it worked it was fun for sure fun ads. Sure. all right man we're gonna cut it there thank you so much for all of your time um i'd say the whole like what's your instagram everyone knows you they know you more than us anyway <laughs> so that that part's easy thanks so much and thanks for that's it on. thank you thank you so much for listening to the zero podcast if you want more information head to our instagram zero underscore weakness hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions thank you once more